We're going to move into a time of preaching now. So last week, we concluded our summer series we had titled Summer Psalms. Uh, And so we looked at the first 13 psalms um, from that Old Testament book. I hope you were encouraged through the real-life anguish and experiences of David and that you were able to see again and maybe anew the relevance of words that were written thousands of years ago. Now today, we're beginning a three-week series that we've titled, What is the Church? So as we're scattered about and maybe struggle to meet together with other people, it's easy for us to lose sight of what the church is, why Jesus created it, and the importance for us to revolve our lives around Jesus' church. And so the physical distance that maybe some of us are or have experienced over the last number of months, it's compounding with what in America many people know as a weak ecclesiology. So ecclesiology is basically study of the church or beliefs about the church as well. And so when we're distant from one another, we're not in each other's lives, it can just multiply a weak ecclesiology, meaning that we don't value the church in the way that Jesus did or, or we see in the New Testament. And I know as a pastor that we are all being formed. Even though we're apart from one another, we are still being formed by many things. And in this, it, there, there comes a heightened temptation for all of us to let other voices take precedence. Maybe less known voices, maybe non-gospel voices, maybe more divisive voices. And we're also tempted in all this to just minimize the importance of church in the sense that we view it as optional, that it's a nice to have, but it's not necessary. So my hope in this three-week series is to provide biblical basis for what the church is, why Jesus formed it, and why it's so vital to Christian living. Many of these things might be reminders for a lot of us, but this is a lot of what the Christian life is. We need to be reminded. So today we're going to answer the question, what is the church in a specific way? And we're going to answer the question from three different angles over these next few weeks. But today we're going to answer it with this phrase, the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Now, this phrase has a couple of meanings. Okay, first, it has the obvious meaning describing Jesus' physical body. He came to earth. He took on flesh. He became like us. He was tempted as we are. He suffered He was beaten, and it was through this horrific and harmful treatment to his physical body that we are afforded forgiveness of sins and salvation. So first off, we have this dynamic of Jesus' physical body when we hear the phrase, the body of Christ. But as we talk about him laying his life down and offering us forgiveness of sins and salvation, then this points to the second meaning as well. So the body of Christ is a description of Jesus' church. This is stated quite clearly in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5 says, 
Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So this affirmation occurs in Ephesians 5. This affirmation is occurring in the midst of instructions about husbands and wives. So Paul, the author, is calling husbands to imitate Jesus. He's saying, lay down your life for your wife. Give grace to your wife. Lead her to salvation. And he's saying, look at Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. So husbands live similarly to the way that Jesus lived. But, but what he's also doing then is he's talking about marriage is he points us back to the first marriage. And so there's this connection to, to equivalate, you're equating the church to Eve. So what we can know is that Jesus' church is a new, better Eve. And, and this is going to teach. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 2. I want to read these verses from there. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, there's a number of things that we can learn from these verses, thinking through the lens of the New Testament. So as a husband and wife become one flesh, it's two people becoming one, Christians are called to be united with one another. We are called as a church to function together as a body does. And also, as a husband leaves his family to form a new family, Christians are called to leave their old lives of living for self for a new one, where identity is wrapped up in Jesus' church. So, so these are things that we can learn from these verses in Genesis 2, thinking through the lens of the New Testament. But, but what I want us to see most importantly here is how Eve was made. God put Adam to sleep and took a rib from his body. This is how he created Eve. So I want us to see here the correlation between what's happening in Genesis 2 and what we see in the New Testament. Adam goes to sleep to create his wife. Jesus goes to sleep to create his bride. His church, the body of Christ. And this all makes so much sense when we get to the New Testament and we read that Jesus is referred to as a second Adam. So, so this is the Bible telling the same story over and over. This is the Bible being connected from the beginning through the New Testament and even now today. I, I love how the Bible does this. So we are saved because Jesus went to sleep for us. And in this, we are made from Christ. His church is made from Christ. We are who we are because of Jesus and what he did 
for us. So I want us to see how the biblical story ties together for us. But I want us to see two necessities that flow out of this. The first necessity is Jesus. Okay? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about his body. Most specifically, those who are Christians are his body. We are his body. But Jesus, he is the head. He is in charge. He is primary, in control, ruling, directing, loving, forgiving. All that we are as his church is from him and towards the end of Jesus himself. So first and foremost, we have the head of Jesus. But the second necessity is that of the body. We're made from Jesus. We're owned by Jesus. But in his church, we're also one another's. We are also each other's. As someone becomes a Christian, they're freed from the exhausting endeavor of trying to satisfy themselves. We get to climb off the treadmill of just a little more in life. And, and what we see here in the Bible is that other Christians are a necessity for us. The church is a necessity for us. As we are made of Jesus, so are other people. We need one another because Jesus is in each other, and we are able to know Jesus and gain access to him and serve Jesus through one another. So what I want you to hear right here is his body is sacred. Jesus' body, his church, is sacred. Do you think this way often? Do you think about Jesus' church being sacred? We're not just a bunch of people who happen to have just fallen into each other's lives. God puts his body together. We don't always or maybe even often view Jesus' church in this way or, or view it as a necessity. We, we can easily view it as a convenience. We live in a society where we've been trained to cater to our preferences. We get to choose. Give me options and I will choose the options. And if we don't like something, we'll just opt out of it. We'll do our own thing. This is a hellish and destructive way to view Jesus' church that resembles his life and his cross in no way whatsoever. The idea, when we view church in this way, as a convenience or a preference, the idea that Jesus says to come to him, you must die to yourself, is nowhere in our view. We'll take Jesus as long as he fits into whatever we want him to be and do. When we think this way, when we live this way, we're doing a number of things. We create a new religion. Basically, we're creating our own religion. There's a word called syncretism. Okay, we'll take a little bit of Jesus and whatever we want, and we try and mesh them together. 
It's almost like a form of prosperity theology, right? God desires health and wealth and happiness. And I think these things are, are what will bring me happiness. And then these other few tidbits of Jesus. This is not a good spot to be in, creating our own religion as it pertains to how we view the church as a convenience or a preference. Additionally, when we view the church as a convenience, we disbelieve Jesus and that he created his church as a necessary means for our flourishing. It's really clear we need the church. I need the church. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not some of my commandments. It's not the commandments that we like. It's not the commandments that are easy. It's all of his commandments. So believing the gospel means that we will view the church in the way that Jesus viewed the church. It will cause us to value the church, to orient our lives around his church. So it's not as though we can love Jesus and not love the church. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Always. If you love Jesus, you will love his church. Lastly, when we believe this way, we lie to others. When we minimize Jesus' church, we contradict Jesus. We tell people, we tell non-Christians, we tell others something that is in complete contradiction to what Jesus has said to us. Viewing Jesus' church as the body of Christ, as part of Jesus himself, is essential. It's essential. So the body of Christ, also known as Jesus' church, cannot be a throwaway concept. We should think hard about what it is, about our involvement in it and the priority we place upon it. So that's what I want to do in the few moments that we have left this morning. I want to talk about this from 1 Corinthians 12. So we're going to read about 15 verses here, and then I'm going to just make, draw out a few points of application here for us. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ— for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. All right. So I can't walk through these verses exhaustively right now just for the sake of time, but I want to make a few observations regarding the body of Christ. So the body of Christ, Jesus Church, is a community of people who have been given spiritual gifts for the common good. Okay, so this is a verse I didn't read, but it comes just prior to the verses I read. When someone is saved, God gifts them in certain ways. And he gifts them so that they might work, use those gifts for the benefit of the church, for the common good. So this is why God gifts us, okay? Now, the body of Christ has many local expressions. We call these churches. And each church functions as a body. So center church is one body. But what we need to see here is the idea of oneness, okay? We can't miss this reality. Jesus' church, his body, is marked by in oneness. Now, we understand oneness from the perspective of individualism, okay? We, we get individualism, but the church, which is a plural entity, is defined here by its oneness. A church is intended to be uh, marked by its unity. So Christians are called to live in such a way that we see ourselves as connected to others. Paul's saying we cannot flourish on our own. We are dependent on one another. God intends we go deep into each other's lives. Not live on the surface, but to go deep, to know one another. So we should be able to see how a consumeristic view of church is harmful. How a view of church where we engage in church hopping is detrimental. A church is not just about finding some friends and creating a clique. Center Church, we have to actively fight against this. We must we need to. I'm not saying we can or we should do this. I'm saying if we are Christians, we will do this. We will graciously pursue and serve one another so that those around us 
will flourish in the gospel. Our eyes will come off of ourselves and be shifted onto those around us so that the gospel may advance, so that we can view ourselves as one body. The idea here is familial. God wants us to view his church as family. I came across this Twitter thread this past week from a guy named Jared Wilson talking about the season we're in. He said, many people have been church hopping this season because they didn't see joining a church in the first place as joining a family. They saw it more as a vibe. Having to meet different hours, different places, different ways, that changes the vibe. So they're looking elsewhere. We don't do family like that, or we shouldn't. If grandma said next Thanksgiving we're going to eat outside, we wouldn't find a new grandma. You could tell grandma you don't like it, that you wish we could go back inside, but you are there Thanksgiving eating her food. Don't treat church like a consumer product. Church is a family, not a club, a program, or a style preference. The church is a body that functions together. Now, this body has many parts. Every Christian has roles or functions to fill in their local church. We're not called to come and to watch, but to play. No one sits on the bench. We're all part of the action. If you are a Christian, you have been gifted by God to build up his church. The gifts of grace God has assigned to you, whether it be teaching or healing or generosity or any other gift that he has given to you has been given for the rest of the church. So delight in who you are. Delight in what God has given to you and work for the delight of others. And if you don't know your part, your body part, your function, then ask the church. Other people usually have a pretty good understanding of what our gifts might be. There's a call in all of this then for us to not look at others and wish that, that we had their gifts. When we do that, that, that's coveting. That's sin. And when we do this, when we look at someone else and say, man, I wish I could do what they do, what we're doing is we're turning our nose up at the gifts that God has given to us. And if you follow that path, what we're ultimately doing is we're turning our nose up at God's salvation. Because the gifts that God has given to us are part of his salvation. And so in a sense, when we don't like the way that God's gifted us, we're telling God, I don't like aspects of your salvation. We are saved, not just to avoid hell, but we have a function here, now, today. So do it with everything within you. This whole idea is vital to our philosophy of church, our philosophy of ministry at Center Church. Rather than getting massive as a church, and, and we're not anti-growth, so don't hear that. But rather than getting massive, we would much rather 
plant another church. Because when you get huge, when you get bloated, and you start hiring all kinds of staff, it becomes really hard for the church to exercise their gifts, to be and to do what God has intended for us. So leaders are called to train the church for the work of the ministry, not to do the work of the ministry. Yes, to do it as well, but leaders are called train up the church so that they can exercise their gifts. They can know the joy that God has for them when they're living in the sense that God has designed them to live. So we need to know our parts, our functions, and to pour our lives out in that regard. So I want us to hear this clearly. And this is talked about a number of times in these verses from 1 Corinthians 12, we cannot function without each other. This is inherent to the proper function of anybody. So there's a call in here, and I try to say this every so often for us as a church, but there's a call in here for us to get over ourselves, that the church is not about us. We need each other. We lay down ourselves, our lives, our preferences, our ambitions, our dreams for the glory of God. We work for the good of others, those others that we need and that need us. If you've received grace, you will want others to know and experience God's goodness, to share in what you have received. Life is not about us. And implicit in this reality is that we can never be proud. Proud of what we accomplish because we're so dependent on others. We also can't be proud of the gifts that we have because they've been given to us by God. No, no one earned their gift. It was graciously given to us. And the call to work together as a body is so that there may be no division in the body. That the members may have the same care for one another. And I pray that this would be true of us. It starts with us individually, suffering with one another, rejoicing together. We are a singular body made up of many different parts who need each other. And this call that we need each other is just another reminder that we are saved by grace, not by works. We are not saving ourselves. Jesus saves us. And part of that dynamic is he saves us through his church to care for us, to protect us, to speak gospel to us. Do you ever tend to look down on others or yourself based on others' gifts or based on your gifts? 
Do you tend to criticize others for what they do or for what they don't do? When we do this, this is indicative of someone who is not believing the gospel. This is indicative of someone who is not aware of what Jesus has forgiven them. We need to identify our gifts and use it for the good and the joy of others. Not worry about someone else and whether they're appropriately exercising their gifts, but to be and to do all that God has called us to be and to do. God has arranged this body, Center Church, and he continues to arrange it in his way and in his time. We may not always like it, but it's his body. It's not my body. It's not your body. It's his body, and we get to be a part of it. Acknowledging his role and his involvement, his leadership of it will lead to really healthy realities. It it will lead to humility. It will lead to thankfulness. It will lead to freedom. So two quick points of gospel application for us here this morning. First of all, we have been saved by the offering up of Jesus' body, and we are now his spiritual body. Jesus offered his physical body so you could join his spiritual body. Jesus loves his church, his body, so much that he died. He gave up his body for us. Center Church, don't overlook this. Don't take this for granted. Don't let Jesus' love become average. It's not. And I want us to know that inclusion in Jesus' church is one of the greatest gifts we'll ever receive on this side of eternity. We can go outside, we can have many pursuits, but basically all of those pursuits will not give to us, will not provide for us what we're ultimately looking for. Inclusion in Jesus' church is at the top of the chain. It's what we need, It's what we ultimately want. And we're offered this through Jesus offering up his body. Secondly, we are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for the good of others. As Jesus laid his life down for us, we're called to emulate him. Not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus' name. So make much of Jesus' name by seeking the good of others. Use the spiritual gifts that you have been given. They're not spiritual paychecks, right? They're not something that we've earned, that we're entitled to. They are a gift. They're grace. So give to others what you have freely received.